So we're going to look at, as I say, some of the hard things that Jesus said and some of the things that we might be tempted to say we would be an awful lot happier if you could take some scissors in a very discreet way just snip those bits out of the Bible and I'm, ta- think, I'm thinking of things like this where Jesus said uh, take up your cross and follow me and it does seem a pretty harsh thing to say uh, a cross although we might think in our culture that a cross is an ornament that you wear around your neck in the time Jesus was speaking it would be like the gallows or like an electric chair a place where people are executed so Jesus would be saying stand up on the gallows with your neck in a noose next to me or there's a vacant electric chair next to the one they're going to incinerate me just take a seat there Uh, take up your cross and follow me so that's what we're going to look at and in in a rather ironic way I I think um, well if we do enough this is a very uncomfortable text if we do enough exegesis perhaps we can make it a bit more comfortable or if we discuss it together perhaps we can soften the edges of it and I really hope we don't manage to do any of those things because it's not my job really to take the, to take the rough edges off scripture and it's not our job as a, as a congregation to take the things that Jesus said and sort of tame them and get them down to a more manageable size uh, so we, we can talk about it and I do want to do a careful look at what he did actually say but if I've managed to make it comfortable then I've done a very bad job so let's look at the at what the we will look at what the texts say uh, in the gospels Matthew Mark and Luke those three gospels the word cross is used 13 times and a large proportion of them are Uh, repetitions of this saying and the words that that wrap round it so we'll look at all the different texts but we might as well start somewhere so let's go to Matthew chapter 16 Matthew chapter 16 and let me explain what's going on in Matthew chapter 16 Jesus has been teaching, doing stuff, and he gets to the point of saying to his disciples, well, what have you made of this? What have you understood from this? And in Matthew 16, verse 13, he asks, Who do pe- you know, what are people saying? Who do people say that I am? And they say, well, all sorts of different ideas. And then Jesus sort of points the finger and says, but you, who do you say that I am? And I don't think he was talking to a big crowd. He was talking to his disciples. So it would be even a smaller group than we're in at the moment. And you could almost have the eye contact thing where Jesus is saying, so what do you think then? And it's very difficult to sort of um, evade his uh, eye contact on this. And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So when he says Christ... He's thinking 
of all the texts that speak about the king you're the king you're the great one you're the one who has the power and the glory you're the one who's going to put everything right and uh, Jesus deflates Simon a little bit and he says well you, you didn't actually work this out yourself this was revealed to you by God and then it goes on in verse 21 from that time on Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life so that's what he's saying I'm going to suffer and be killed and on the third day be raised to life and Peter takes Jesus aside and began to rebuke him never Lord he said this will never happen to you and Jesus turned and said to Peter get behind me Satan you are a stumbling block to me you do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men and Jesus said to his disciples if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for me will save it what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul or what can a man give in exchange for his soul for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels then he will reward each person according to what he has done I tell you the truth some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom and the next thing you have of course is the transfiguration where something of Jesus glory is revealed on top of the mountain so that thought that uh, yes uh, they did in the, actually in the next few days see something of the coming of the son of man in his kingdom okay so that's the whole the text and the context so the verse we're thinking of is in the middle of it there if anyone you see at verse 24 if anyone would come after me he or she must deny himself and take up his or her cross and follow me that's what it says now let's look at the context the context then is that <coughs> Jesus is the king but he is the king who suffers so it's uh, in the context of the person and work of Jesus Jesus says you must understand who I am and what I've come to do I'm not I am the king but I'm not just the king pure and simple I'm the lion who is also the lamb I am the king who who with the particular sort of kingdom whereby I die on the cross for the subjects of my kingdom uh, and a pretty rebellious obnoxious lot they are too but I die for them to, to bring them to me and to make them uh, a beautiful bride so there's that and then you could put it in terms of the, sh the sort of shape in terms of time 
that <coughs> Jesus says, yeah, I am the king, but first I go to the cross and then I ascend and receive the crown. So you could put it in terms of the combination of his person and work, or you could put it in terms of the sequence, the sort of shape of things that uh, if you will not, if you will not uh, bear the cross, you cannot wear the crown. Uh, that Christ wears the cross. No, what am I talking about? He he goes to the cross first, and then he has the crown. So it's a sort of you only get to there after you've been here. So it's that, that sort of thing. And it's, you notice that, that when Peter rejects that, so Peter says, no, that's not right, Lord. Uh, verse 22, this, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus sees this as a really profound misunderstanding and actually a profound rejection of everything that he is there for do you see what I mean he says uh, get behind me Satan Satan the adversary you are a stumbling block to me you know this isn't helping this is uh, putting an obstacle in my way you do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men you're thinking about this in a human um, framework which is the, the opposite of the way God is seeing things yeah um, so to reject it is to have a, a mind, a mindset, a mentality which is not God but uh, just human and you might say if you wanted to use Paul's vocabulary it's minding the things of the flesh rather than the things of the spirit. And having told Peter the shape of his own life and ministry the logic is that if you're going to follow Jesus this shape will imprint itself on the on the life of the follower if that's what the master that's the shape the master had in his life this will be the shape that the follower has too if you want to follow me then you've got to deny yourself you've got to take up a cross and follow me so thinking of those uh, extra phrases to deny self do you remember that uh, Peter denied Jesus didn't he he said, I don't know anything, no connection with this guy. Don't know who he is, nothing to do with me. And I think it's used in the same, with the same sort of idea here of oneself. So he says, you've got to deny yourself. Instead of saying, you know, that's the person I pay most allegiance to, that's, you know, number one. You say, no, don't know who that is. No connection with, with that person. Uh, self is denied and then Jesus is followed so he says uh, you need to follow me so where I go you go uh, the steps that I take are the steps that you take uh, in your turn and then just adding some more to it because Jesus adds some more to it he says whoever wants to save his life will lose it whoever loses his life for me will find it so to life here is seeky um, which is used again with a different translation but if you I think what he's saying is if, if you try and cling to your life and hold on to everything and keep it all intact and don't let God touch it or spoil anything if you if you do that with your life you actually wreck it 
you lose your life. But if you are prepared to let to relinquish your life, as it says, for me, whoever loses his life for me, so if Jesus, we're offering our lives to Jesus, saying, no, you can have this, I'm, you know, I'm not clinging on to this, you can have this. If we offer our lives to him, then we will, now it doesn't actually say save, does it? It actually says find. So he's saying here is a, an attitude in the life of the believer and then yet again he seems to put it in terms of a time frame of the here and now in distinction to the future so verse 26 says what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul again the word sihi and I think this is, this is a now and future thing, isn't it? We gain the whole world now, so you've got everything, fame, fortune, health, wealth, um, decorative spouse, uh, and uh, uh, all, all those things. Uh, you've got all the whole world now, uh, and he says, what's, what's the point of that if in the future, I presume this is a future reference, that you, you have lost your psyche, your soul and uh, and yet again I think he's saying much the same thing when he says for verse 27 the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he has done I tell you the truth, there are some who are standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So he's saying there are consequences and future rewards and the now is the things that people do and the future is the rewards and Jesus links that with glory, doesn't he? Verse 27, the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and he also links it with his kingdom so uh, they will see the son of man coming in his kingdom so I've done a little bit of the exegesis there look, look at the, uh, the exact words and I'm not sure whether any of that makes it any easier to swallow I suppose it makes it sort of logical uh, and it makes it fit with various things but he still said take up your cross didn't he uh, he says this is the shape of his life and therefore we are to follow him in it we are to deny ourselves and follow Jesus we are to let go of our lives and lay it all at his feet and that's the way to save our lives in this world we are not to cling and, and get as much as we can but uh, what good would it be to gain all those things if in doing so we'd lost, s lost out spiritually, we'd lost our, our souls. And he says, uh, think of it another way, the things that you do now will have future consequences. And things that you have, uh, choices that you have made here 
will be rewarded in future. Okay, well, those, that's that's look, looked at that text. We can see whether we can get any comfort from looking at the texts in those uh, in the other in the other gospels. Uh, let's look at Mark. So Mark chapter 8, <coughs> then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said, I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. It's pretty much the same, isn't it? So if we are looking to try and tone it down I don't think we have much uh, help there. You notice that there are a few differences. Jesus, in verse 38, says uh, the issue of whether you are ashamed of me and my words. It's worth noticing the link there because we say, I love Jesus, don't like the Bible very much. Uh, I want to follow Jesus. Don't take much notice of what he says. Jesus says, well, you can't do that because if you're ashamed of me... It, it, if you're ashamed of my words, you're basically ashamed of me. Uh, if I said it, it's your job to take it on board. Uh, if anybody is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory. And uh, there is in uh, chapter 9, verse 1, an explicit reference to power. I don't think it's much different. Let's look in Luke chapter 9, Matthew, Mark, Luke. This verse 23 seems very similar. Peter is saying you are the Christ of God. In, verse, in Luke 9:21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. Then he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, so it goes wide like it does in the other readings if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me that's a bit different isn't it the inclusion of daily there whoever wants to save his life will lose it whoever loses his life for me will save it what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self 
so he doesn't use Sikhi, he says he upped on his self. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and with the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So it's much the same. There's a little bit more emphasis on glory there. So I don't think we find any way of getting out of it. Uh, there is one other reference which is similar, which is in Matthew chapter 10. in verse 32 which this is in, in Matthew chapter 10 Jesus is training up his disciples and uh, they go on a missionary journey and he gives them some principles I mean, so some of them are just to do with that particular journey others are sort of long lasting principles <coughs> verse 32 says Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. <coughs> I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. If anyone loves his father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. Whoever loves his son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me, is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Actually, it makes it even worse, doesn't it, that text, because it says uh, this is the rubber hits the road in terms of your relationship to your family. Because you think, well, Lord, my family, obviously, family is a good thing, you know, good thing, trademark, good thing. Uh, and Jesus says, well, actually, I even have something to say about that. And what I'm going to say is this, that I am so special, so crucial, so of such magnitude that if you put your family before me, you're not worthy of me. That's pretty tough, isn't it? But if it, but that's what he says. And it's not my job to make him say something else or try and smooth it out so that it's... Um, the job is to tell it like it is and that's what it says if you think your family is more important than me you're not worthy of me if when you're working out the priorities of your life because da 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 Jesus and then family above Jesus Jesus says I'm not having that you haven't understood who I am you haven't understood what I've done for you you haven't understood the depth of my claim on your life you haven't understood that I did all that for you and the correct response is all that I have and all that I am I lay at your feet there's nothing that is excluded from that but my family 
Yeah, including your family. So, the things that we might like to snip out of the Bible. It's got some comments and then three or four points of uh, points to make. Uh, <coughs> first comment: This is an imperative. Okay, when when we say that we are freed from the law, it doesn't mean that we are freed from obedience. When we say that we, we're not saved by works of the law, which is absolutely correct, we're not saved by things we've done, that doesn't mean that Jesus can't demand things of us. It doesn't mean that the idea of Jesus' lordship becomes irrelevant. Uh, this is not a law, but this is to do with our relationship to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, <coughs> excuse me, I am a saviour in such a profound way that I am absolutely entitled to insist from you that you take up your cross, you deny yourself and follow me. You see, it's not illogical, it doesn't jar, it doesn't go from grace to something different. This is, this is the sovereignty of grace. Um, <coughs> comment number two could somebody get me a glass of water please because I'm a little bit husky thank you we're not talking about earning salvation by doing something really difficult so in Roman Catholicism not that I'm an expert on it but you can correct me if I'm wrong there's such things as pilgrimages and uh, is that pilgrimage? pun? penances so I did hear on the radio of somebody who had accompanied some Roman Catholic people on a, on a penance or a pilgrimage where they had to go to such and such a holy island and do the last half mile uh, on their knees over the rough rocks and it was a horrible thing and they, you know, they, it was really painful. And in that context, I think it was trying to earn something. But what Jesus is not... Jesus is not talking about earning something. He's talking about responding and relating to him. You know, he says, I am the Lord Jesus Christ, your saviour. And if I am Lord, then I am entitled to say, thank you ever so much, I am entitled to say, this is how you relate to me. It's about responding and relating. And let me also comment that it's not, he's not talking about a one-off crisis experience. So, you know, back in 1985, or whenever it was, and I gave my life to the Lord, and uh, uh, there was a, a very intense crisis, shall we say, and I offered everything to the Lord, and at least I've got that out of the way. So, did you notice that although you might have read two of the texts that way was it the Luke one that says you've got to do it every day it's the way you live every day bit of a shock really isn't it it's the way you live every day it's the way the Christian relates to themselves and their life and their situation it is just their bread and butter attitude uh, this is the way I, I, 
I do things and think about things. And let me also comment, you know, what we, what we really fear is that this is something which is dehumanizing. So it takes away the richness, this is what we fear, it takes away the richness and the enjoyment and the goodness of being human and makes it religion instead. We fear that it's diminishing to us, that, that really Jesus is going to take from us things that we, we, you know, the good things and he's going to be uh, he's going to um, make life monochrome and joyless and so on but let me point out that that, that that's not the way the texts are working because Jesus is not saying I want to make sure you lose your life what he's actually saying is I want to make sure you gain your life but I want, I want that to, be ha to happen long term. Uh, I, I'm not trying to rob you of something. I'm trying to make sure you get it. I'm trying, so I want to make sure you gain something. Do you see? Now having said that, um, I, I, he, he is saying something, isn't he? He's saying, uh, I think he's saying something in terms of priority. I think he's saying something in terms of postponement. He's saying there are things that you might, and maybe the people next to you might grasp now, but he's saying the way to have them is to not grasp now and they will be yours in the future. I think there's an issue of particularly postponing glory I think there's issues of choices and policy. Every day, denying oneself, taking up the cross, following Jesus, I think that has to show in, uh, I mean not least money, actually. Money shows often where our hearts are. Might not have a lot of money but even if you it, it, it's almost more intense when you've got a little bit of money so you've only got a little bit of money so I can't possibly afford to give any to the Lord well, I've got a lot of money I'll give, give it to the Lord but it, it doesn't work like that does it uh, choices and policies and I think he is talking about the willingness to undergo temporary losses and crosses when I say temporary I'm thinking of you know sort of 70 years or 80 years which is a very small amount of time compared to eternity. He's saying, you're not grabbing all that, you're not trying to win the whole world now. Because you can't do that and keep your eternal soul. So those points of sort of clarification. So four final points. So I think this is number one, a challenge. Certainly a challenge to nominal Christianity. Nominal Christianity is when the Christianity is just in name. So nominal means in name. So it's just what you put on the census and it never it doesn't go any further than that. And Jesus says, I'm not having that. I didn't nominally save people and I don't expect them to nominally follow me. I saved people 
with a total commitment and a limitless expenditure and I don't want you negotiating how much of your life you give to me because it just isn't like that and it isn't half and half Christianity where we would like to say well this bit of my life is Christian and this bit of my life I'd like to keep in a separate box and the two are quite separate there's a tendency for life to sort of do that and Jesus says I'm not having that at all I want all or nothing I don't think we can actually resent Jesus saying that can we we say to him anybody going to say to him no you don't deserve to be able to say that because I think he's abundantly proved he's able to say that uh, I don't think no he can say that and that's what he does say and it's a challenge because he doesn't say you know it's like paying off your mortgage 25 years and then you forget about it after that when you paid off your mortgage you don't have to worry about that Jesus doesn't say you know there's going to be a period in your life where I want your whole life but then after a while it's all done that you can do what you want then you know when you're retired you can do anything uh, Jesus doesn't say that he says I want your whole life every day for all your days and I'm not settling for anything less than that and it's, uh, so I, I say it's a challenge and I think I keep on saying I think because it's a bit of a difficult message to bring really isn't it I guess I could I could easily pin this on I know quite a few of you quite well and I could point the finger at you and say that means such and such in your life but what a hypocrite I'd be because I know that it applies to me too uh, so there's a challenge secondly there's a necessity so there are some things that are in small print so if you've ever installed anything on your computer you get a bit at the beginning which says by ticking this box you agree to all the terms and conditions now the first time I did this I've actually read the terms and conditions you might think me a fool but in all the other things that I've I've, I've, uh, I've installed on my computer I just go oh, terms and conditions yeah and don't read them through there's usually pages and pages I heretofore acknowledge the copyright licensing conditions of any other uh, telegraphic equipment that I have in my possession. I think, oh. But this is not the small print. This is not the bit that you tick and just carry on as if it didn't matter. Uh, Jesus, doesn't he say something like, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple? anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me it's not an optional extra it's the very stuff of being a Christian so if you're sitting thinking I don't think I'm up for this then what you're saying is I'm not up for being a Christian 
and if you're sitting thinking well I want to be a Christian then this is what it's about uh, you, you knew this when you signed up <coughs> and if your becoming a Christian had any genuineness about it you, you fully acknowledge this uh, the question is simply are you still acknowledging it has this sort of come onto your radar recently because Jesus says it's on the radar every day you can have a little think all the plans and all the thoughts and all the things you've accumulated and said this is rather special this is rather precious this is what I'm going to do this is how I relate to various people and Jesus says well you've been doing that very confidently haven't hang on a second have you thought that actually all those things are under my lordship and there isn't a single one of those in which you are not called to deny yourself and take up your cross to put the noose round your neck as it were and follow me so it's not in the small print and it's not an optional extra and then a third comment by way of reassurance you might be thinking actually I've done this for years I've taken I've made choices and decisions which have gradually led me down a very different path to my family and to my colleagues at work and to people of a similar age to myself and I just begin to wonder was did I make a right choice because it, there's quite a stark difference between uh, my life now and people you know, that I went to school with or something like that one of the people I was, went to school with was on the, on the telly he uh, put it in the Christmas newsletter look at me on YouTube such and such and such and such of the brand new house that I built that was on Grand Designs except it wasn't Grand Designs it was um, a cheap copy and I thought oh I'm not really in that league and Jesus I think in a sense reassures and says yeah you made those decisions and every day you took up your cross and followed me you might not have done it perfectly but that's the direction you took in your life let me reassure you there was no other option and the thing that you have done is exa exactly the right thing keep on with it don't turn back from that because one day when I return you will be with me in glory and you won't regret any of those decisions at all yeah. reassurance and a promise there will be future rewards I do like grand designs but I think there's a huge danger and I sometimes pity those people with the mm, fantastic million pound uh, triple glazed Nordic glass sliding panels suspended uh, suspended staircases glazed marble 
huge kitchens that you can hardly see from one end to the other on a clear day. Not, not that there's anything wrong in those things, but I, I think that's, that's their life. That's, what they, that, that's the thing that made life worth living for them. I actually like the, the, the guy who um, made a house of wood in the New Forest because he'd been living in a tent and he, um, he made a wooden, wooden house out of trees and straw. That's what was lovely. And uh, one of the ladies in the village who kept sheep the same as his, they got, by the time he, uh, Kevin came back and, and visited them, they got married and had children. And I thought that was really, really rather, rather sweet. <coughs> but we don't set our store, do we, on a fantastic house? Would that be the thing worth living for? You know, I, I, isn't there something in the Bible about the person who said that his house was too small or his barns were too small? We tear them down and build bigger ones. And uh, uh, and God said to him, "You twit." You idiot, you fool, tonight your life is required of you. And where, where's, where's your great house going to be then? What good will that do you? There is a promise of future rewards, if you like, and mansions in heaven, although I'm not sure whether that's a correct translation, uh, beyond our grandest dreams. take up your cross and follow me said Jesus the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and he will reward each person according to what he has done I tell you the truth there are some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom and power and glory well, let's sing something together. Let's uh, s